0: Jesus, thank you that you left heaven and came to earth. That you being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be exploited, but you made yourself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and being found in human likeness, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore you've been exalted to the highest place, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every knee confess that you are Lord and Savior, that you are in charge of the past, the present, and the future, that you are the Lord of every heart, and you are redeeming every single thing. And so in faith, wherever we are, whether we're where we want to be or we're in that place in between the promise and the promised land, Lord, will you come all the way down even into our lives and our situation and our circumstances? Give us your encouragement and your grace. Let us know that we have not been forsaken for a moment that the shadow will come to pass, but there will be joy forevermore. And will you give us a sense first of your spirit and your presence in our lives, and then from that, that we might have joy no matter where we are. Because your word says the joy of the Lord is our strength. So we thank you. We thank you today and we pray for your presence and your power for each person in this room and each person tuning in online. May you come down into each of our lives bringing redemption, bringing your spirit, bringing your joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you may be seated Heartland, it is great to see you each and every week. There are more of you who are venturing out to join us, and that's fantastic. I want you to know that those of you tuning in online, we see you as well, maybe not with our eyes, but we know that you're in our hearts. And it is great, and it is a joy to be together. My name is Seth. I'm one of the pastors around here. And it's our aim as a church to make Jesus first in all we do to the best of our ability. And so if we can help you take your first steps or your next steps in that in any way, we'd love to do so. For those of you tuning in online, we have our virtual hub. Uh, there's a link in the chat or online. You can, can jump in. We can help you wherever you are, pray with you, and the like. Um, And for those of you on site, we have our actual non-virtual hub outside outside those doors um, come, and we'd love to help you if we can. Hey, if you weren't with us last week, we got to share some really exciting news as a family. You may know that we've been looking for a couple of really strategic leadership positions, and last week we got to announce that we were able to find and hire one of those. So Brad Herndon will be our community and discipleship pastor. It's really great news for us and for Heartland's future. And so, uh, on April 1st, Brad will join us officially, but next week, he'll be here speaking uh, on on our behalf, and you'll get to meet him. And so, I'd love for all of you to join us next week as we get to welcome Brad and as he teaches here. That will be amazing. Well, we're in a series that we're calling The Last Words of Jesus. It turns out that Jesus on the cross, as we're preparing from now through Easter, had seven sayings that really speaks to, to all the positions we could even find ourselves in today, and we can find hope for our journey and joy for what's happening now and in the future uh, by just exploring these last words of Jesus. And so, the ways to take the most advantage of this time, many of you who are tuning in are doing the first one that we talked about last week. Just join us each week on site or online. Make it a priority as you're preparing for Easter and Jesus's resurrection celebration. Second thing is our journey devotional is looking at the last week of Jesus' life in the book of John. That's a daily reading and a prompting to prayer. Join us in that way. And a third opportunity we're calling Soul Care with Tom Bronner. our Wednesday prayer time as a staff. We're making available uh, by our YouTube Live that anyone can access anywhere. We'd love for you to join us. It's been really encouraging and powerful. And if you missed but want to catch up, you can see those uh, there. It's at noon on Wednesdays. Well, today we have a real treat. A dear friend of mine, Joe Ratterman, uh, will be speaking. He is a young man whom I look up to greatly. Uh, He leads our high school ministry around here. And so, I'd love for you to welcome up Joe Ratterman.
1: All right. Well, hello, friends. How are we this morning? It's Good to be with you. Uh, Question for you guys this morning. Do you guys ever feel like there's a mountain of shoulds, a totally unscalable mountain of things that you should be doing related to parenting, uh, your work life, your uh, activities? Does it ever feel like there's so many things that we should be doing? Yeah, me neither, me neither, me me neither. Gosh, I think about parenting. Parenting is impossible today, guys. Like those of you that parented before the internet, you had it easy because even if you were doing it wrong, you didn't know you were doing it wrong. (laughs) Like nowadays we have like our news feeds full of all the things that we should be doing and all the things that we know that we shouldn't be doing. It's just like impossible, like food dyes. Do you know like food dyes is a problem that we should be worried about for our kids? It's linked to behavioral issues and ADHD, hyperactivity, that kind of thing. So like, as you're driving with your kids down the aisle and you see all those fruit snacks that are colored and shaped like their favorite characters, you have to convince them that a banana is better. (laughs) Do you remember what we ate when we were kids? Like, blueberries, did anybody eat blueberries? It was like those bright blue ghosts that supposedly taste like blueberries. Blue dye number one was the number one ingredient. It made you poop green for a week. Like, it's impossible to parent today. And disciplining is even harder. Uh, we're expected to have kids that are well-tempered and well-behaved, but you should not spank. You should not yell. You should not put them in timeout, because that's emotionally damaging. You're left with a safe space. So you're at dinner, and your kid's dancing on the table, and your other kid is eating leftovers under it, and there's no safe place for anyone. That's parenting today. It's impossible. It's impossible. And it's not just parenting, it's all the things. I mean, as you think about uh, your work life, your home life, your thought life, there's all kinds of things that we should be doing. And so I asked a few of you guys this last week just to offer some of your shoulds, the shoulds that we all hear. Um, For those of you joining us online, this would be an awesome time for you to maybe put your own shoulds in that chat window. That would be awesome. But, But here's what some of you guys said. I should be eating less sugar... I should be limiting my kids' screen time. I should be cooking more balanced meals. I should be taking better care of my lawn, reading more to my kids. I should be working out four times a week. I should be a more supportive wife, a better husband. I should read more, I should talk more, I should reach out to friends more. These two are kind of fun. I should be using my college degree. I should be a stay-at-home mom. Some of these are contradictory. I should have a better sleep schedule. I should be eating better. I should have it all together. I should have perfect grades. I should be more productive. I should take better care of myself. I should do homework, I should stop procrastinating. I should spend less time on my phone. I should be saving more. I should be not eating out as much. I should stick to that budget. I should be slower to anger. Ah! What an exhausting list! Now, the problem with these shoulds is that these shoulds find their way into our relationship with God, a place that they were never meant to find themselves to be. I mean, nine out of ten times, if I ask people, how are you doing in your relationship with God, I hear, oh, I should be reading my Bible more, I should be praying more, I should be spending more time with God. Shoulds find their way into our relationship with God. And could we be honest for a moment? How helpful are shoulds? Not all that helpful. Shoulds may have gotten us to read our Bible for the six first days of the year, but then they end up making us feel guilty for every other day that we failed to do so. Shoulds are terrible motivators, and I believe responsible for the enormous amount of guilt that many of us feel as Christians, that we're not doing enough, that we are not enough. I believe that shoulds rob us of the joy that Jesus wants for us and prevents us from living into the freedom that he has for us. And so if that's you, if you feel like sometimes you live under a mountain of shoulds, today is a good day because today is a good news day. We're going to be looking at, uh, as Seth talked about, some of the last words of Jesus. And a, a couple of these words, I believe, address once and for all the issue of shoulds. So if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up, turn them on, swipe or scroll. We're going to be in Luke chapter 23, where we read this. It says, when they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Yeah, so we pick up here in the darkest day of human history in which Jesus, the Son of God, is being publicly put to death. And for those of us that have been Christians for a while, we almost have to shake ourselves to like capture what's going on here because it's become so familiar. But Jesus does something absolutely outrageous. I mean, here he is being uh, publicly crucified, this Jesus who with his own life did countless miracles, loved the least, the last, and the last who did nothing more than with his last breath care and show compassion to those of us. And here he is being unbelievably, wildly, unjustly condemned to death. But did you see what he does in this moment? He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. Here, Jesus, having been beaten to a pulp, mocked, spit on, humiliated, literally nailed to a cross, is looking out at the crowd that just crucified them and says, forgive them, Father, they know not what they are doing. What? It's unbelievable. It makes no sense. Why would he do that? Why would he offer that kind of forgiveness? Jesus forgave us when he should not have. Jesus died for us when he should not have. The Apostle Paul, writing many years later, puts it this way God demonstrates his love for us in this that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let that soak in. Jesus did not die for us once we were at our best, once we'd done all the shoulds that we should do. Jesus died for us while we were at our worst. That's where this whole thing called Christianity got started. That is the foundation of our faith. That is the iridescent essence of our faith. It's the cross. That Jesus didn't die for us once we did all the things we should do, but actually died for us when we were doing all the things we shouldn't. That our relationship with God is not dependent on what we can do, but it's dependent on what he did for us. Our relationship with God is not at all dependent on what we do for him, but totally dependent on what he does for us. Now, some of you may not have like teased out the implications of it, but what that means is that we have freedom from the shoulds. That we don't have to live under the mountain of things that we think we should or should not do. That there is total freedom from the shoulds. That our relationship with God is absolutely secure. And so that means that you are unbelievably deeply loved when you make your way here to church or when you decide to sleep in. Your love the same when you wake up early to, to spend time with Him or when you just hit snooze. God's love does not change. God's love is the same when we do all the things that we should and when we're doing all the things that we shouldn't. It's the same. That is the foundation of our faith. God's love for you is the same when you feel like the best parent in the world or when your kids spent most of the day watching TV. When you look like all those people on your news feeds, or when you can't seem to look at yourself in the mirror. God's love is the same. On the cross, Jesus ended shoulds once and for all. On the cross, Jesus ended shoulds once and for all. Now, the problem is that for many of us, we know that already. It's like, yeah, 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 I got that. Like, Jesus, he loves me, he died for me. Okay, on to the next step. But I think that's where we run into problems. I think that's where things start to get out of whack. Uh, some of you may know this, but I'm a potter. I do uh, like a pottery business on the side, and uh, one of the foundational elements of doing pottery is a process called centering, in which everything that you make, big or small, kind of starts the same way. And I've, I've got a video that we can kind of check out that kind of explains the process. So you start with a lump of clay, and you throw it on the, the wheel head, and, you start by just like pressing it into the wheel and making sure it's perfectly center. Before you're able to do anything else, the, the clay has to be firmly fixed to be centered on the wheel head. When you're able to do that, you're able to pull up walls, it's able to, to create a, a beautiful finished product like this. What happens more often than not, a lot of people like to like, get into pottery, and they take a couple of classes, and they, they attempt to kind of center the clay, and they get kind of frustrated, uh, and so they start pulling the walls, and they start trying to bring them up, and they realize that one side is like twice as thick as the other side. They're like, ah, whatever, and they start trying to pull it up, and the mass of clay on the right side is causing the whole pot to get wobbly, and it's usually about this point that people realize that they didn't like pottery as much as they thought they would. They're left with a wet, wobbly piece of clay. Now, after you do pottery for a little while, you realize the importance of the process of centering. Like, you're, you're pressing it into the, the wheelhead. You're making sure it's perfectly aligned, perfectly centered. And once you have that right, you can build great things upon that foundation. But if you don't get that part right, everything else gets out of whack. I think the, tr- the same is true of our faith. The foundation of our faith is the cross. We have to get this right. You can't build anything else if the base isn't right, if our foundation isn't fixed on the cross. That truth that we are loved unconditionally, that God's love for us is the same no matter what we do. It starts there, that he died for us, not when we were at our best, but when we were at our worst. That the arms of heaven are open to us, not just on our best days, but on our worst days. It's that unconditional, unmerited Love that forms the foundation of our faith. And we get that right, you can add all the other Christian activity and it has a healthy place to live. But if that's not right, everything else gets out of whack. And I think one of the clearest ways that we can kind of see when our when our faith does get out of whack, when it does get off-center, is the way that we start treating others. When we start holding others to our shoulds, when we start being critical of others. You know, in Matthew's account of the gospel, uh, Jesus tells the story of a man who had racked up an enormous amount of debt, so much so that he could never, ever pay it back. And he's at the brink, he's at the breaking point of realizing that he's about to lose his wife, his kids, his house, everything he's ever worked for. But then in a moment of incredible generosity, that debt is canceled. It's wiped clean. And if you could imagine just what that moment would be like, all your debt just wiped clean, like the freedom that you'd experience, the graciousness you'd have towards yourself and others, the totally open-handed posture towards life, like that's what you would expect. But that's not what we find. We read this, but when that servant, this guy we've been talking about, uh, when he went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, He grabbed him and began to choke him saying, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged, be patient and I will pay it back. But he refused and said he went off and had the man thrown in prison until he could pay back the debt. Not at all what you'd expect in this moment. The first thing that he does when he gets uh, kind of forgiven of all these things, he starts like reaching for money from other people. He fails to extend that same forgiveness that he experienced to others. And Jesus just points out the irony of this moment. How can you, after being forgiven of so much, be so critical of others? You can't. And my experience has been that sometimes the people that are most critical of others are often the most critical of themselves. That the outward critic they they display on places like social media and family dinners is the same internal critic that they experience every single day. We're not centered on that totally unconditional, unmerited love that the Father offers us. Things get out of whack. Friends, is that you? As you think about your own life, your thought life, is it filled with the shoulds? As you think about the things that you post on social media and the things you, you say to your friends, is it filled with the unmerited, gracious love that the Father extended to us? Or is it filled with things you should do or, or shouldn't be doing? Friends, Jesus ended shoulds once and for all, shouldn't we? Jesus ended shoulds once and for all, shouldn't we? You know, looking down on that cross that day, out at the people that were literally crucifying him, Jesus didn't see all the shoulds that should be. He saw what could be. As he looked out that day, he didn't see enemies that day. He saw friends. He saw Acts chapter 2 when some 3,000 people, many of those that were present at the crucifixion, would come to believe and profess his name. You see, when Jesus looks at you and me, he doesn't see what should be. He sees what could be. It's all invitation. Our relationship with him is secure. Everything else is an invitation to the joy and the peace and the freedom that he offers. So if your relationship with God right now looks a lot more like shoulds than coulds, I'd like to uh, permission you to reimagine what that time could look like. Being with God should be, (laughs) could be, uh, the best moments of your week. It's the opportunity to be with the God of the universe, the one who gives us purpose and meaning, the only place that you will experience that's totally unmerited, totally unconditional love, a place where you can find rest for your soul. But for many of us, that idea sounds a little bit more like waking up early and reading our Bible, and that doesn't sound nearly as much fun. Uh, But more recently, my my wife kind of had this light bulb moment for her, the idea of waking up early and reading her Bible after a long day with kids. Um, Sounds like the last thing that she'd want to do. Even just this, (laughs) yesterday, we survived our kids. It was a surviving your kids kind of day put the kids down to bed and uh, as I I walk into the the bathroom, I see her in front of the the bathroom mirror and she's got a facial mask on, she's got her face steamer going, she's listening to some Christian music and she's spending some much needed time decompressing with God. That's been kind of her light bulb moment is like that counts too. Delighting and finding joy, being with God, that counts too, even if it feels a little indulgent. And that's not time each week that she's, uh, you know, like dreading, like, oh, what am I? She's looking forward to it. She's making it through the day to get to those moments where she gets to be with God. Or in other ways, like uh, as she's cooking and preparing in the kitchen, she just puts on some worship music, and I take the kids downstairs. Now she's cooking with Jesus. Are there ways that we can reimagine what time with God could be like You know, for me, most uh, recently, some of my most worshipful times, I'm traditionally a wake-up-early-read-your-bible kind of person, but my most worshipful times have been my long runs with Jesus. I'll go outside when it's like nighttime. The other day, I got to go outside running when it was uh, drizzling, just as the drizzle turned into snowflakes. It was like the holiest moment I've experienced in a long time, just being with God and praising Him in nature. Friends, are there some ways that you could reimagine what your time with him looks like? To change it from a should to a could be? Are there parts of your your daily habits and routines, your hobbies that you could invite him into? Is there something right now in your life that sounds maybe even a little bit indulgent, but that could count too? Whether it's getting a really great cup of coffee and opening up your Bible to spend time with him, whether it's thanking God for the the great friendships that he's placed in your life, whether it's getting outside under the stars or watching the sun go down, what are things that you love to do that you can invite him into? Friends, Jesus ended shoulds once and for all. Shouldn't we all? Well, as we close in prayer this morning, I'd like to invite all of us to return back to that place of center, back to where everything began when we started our faith, that place of professing our need for God, reminding ourselves of his unconditional, unmerited love for us. And so regardless of where you're at in your spiritual journey, if uh, maybe you've never prayed that before, or maybe you've, you've prayed that dozens of times before, I just wanted this morning to be an opportunity for all of us just to recenter back on that relationship with God. Back where it all started. So if you guys would join me in praying, pray this in your own words maybe. Maybe put your hands out in a posture of just kind of receiving. Um, I'd love to pray with us this morning. Hmm. Well, but Father, we just acknowledge your love for us. We remember where that love met us, probably wasn't when we were doing all the things we should be doing, but more likely doing some things that we knew we shouldn't, and yet you loved us then, and so we just thank you for a love that's truly unlike any other. And Jesus, we confess that we need you. We confess that we've fallen short of all the shoulds of this world. And we acknowledge that what you did on the cross, dying for our sins, erases shoulds once and for all. Holy Spirit, we invite you this day to fill us from our head to our toes with the power uh, to, to live into the freedom that you offer us every day. Would your love, would your peace, would your joy overflow in us today and this week? We ask these things in your son's holy and precious and mighty name, amen. Yay. Well, guys, thanks so much for being with us this morning. Um, If you're here and you made any kind of significant step of faith, uh, we would love to chat with you. There's a few people up here on the prayer team and myself. Uh, If you're joining us online, be sure to join us in the virtual hub. We'd love to chat with you. Otherwise, next week we'll be hearing from Brad Herndon, our new community and discipleship pastor. You won't want to miss that. Uh, But otherwise, go enjoy the rest of your weekend, and we'll see you next week. See you guys.